keep forgetting to mention we were had some bookmarks for you last week, and I forgot that we're doing the blue ones. There, I just throw them at you. Um, we're on the blue ones now, and uh, you can just hold them. Thank you. Uh, we're trying to read through Ephesians together, and I went ahead and added in there in a couple days out of the week, uh, for those of you that are coming to Sunday school on Tuesday and Thursday, uh, some passages from Revelation. And so every two weeks, or maybe even every, other, every week, I'm going to do one of these. So uh, do you want to, if you don't have one, maybe I'll have, could I have you guys just pass them out right now? Here, I'll forget if I don't. I think he's going to help you too. So uh, you can take a look at those things. Well, let me ask, start you off with a question today. Now, this is going to be a little interactive at the beginning, and so get your, get your brains thinking here. Um, what do you think of when you think of redemption? And I think I have a slide for that. I don't have my clicker with me today. What do you think of? When you, when you hear the word redemption, what, what are the first things that come to your mind when you think about redemption? What's the first stuff that pops in your head? Don't be shy. Saved, the cross, security, Christ, what's that? Bought. Expand it a little bit when we think about uh, what, what redemption means. What does it mean to be redeemed? What's that? Free. Yeah. Purchased, yeah. Bought, purchased. Forgiven, go. Oh, great minds think alike, don't they? Saved. I mean, there, there's some common ideas there, isn't there? I mean, just this concept of redemption. A lot of us run to those those biblical things. I, I think some of the common elements were things like uh, payment, uh, change of condition, right? I mean, you think about it when you think about redemption. I mean, you there, there's this maybe a. Uh, not a good situation initially, but when something's been redeemed, right, through redemption, it gets to a better place, right? A lot of us are thinking those uh, biblical ideas already. There's just a lot of roots in the Old Testament. For example, this concept of redeemer is found in the book of Leviticus, and it talks about this kinsman redeemer. And then when I say kinsman redeemer, whose name pops into your head? Boaz and, and Ruth, right? That story of Ruth. And, and there's this concept that... And, and frankly, if you've never read the book of Ruth, it's such a beautiful picture of that kinsman redeemer, right? That's, that's talked about in the Old Testament law. And here it is played out in, in Ruth's life. And, and I wish I had time to really dig into those things. And my mind definitely goes to those biblical things. But, but frankly, I, I also think a lot of uh, uh, just some other illustrations of this idea of redemption. I, I think it's interesting. There's so many movies and books and stories that you hear that, that feature that concept of redemption. Now, now, think with me for a second. How often have you read a book or watched a movie or had something where the hero of the story ends up in this... I mean, he starts off here and suddenly, through maybe circumstances not even pertaining to him, he ends up in a horrible situation. Right? And then through the course of events, what happens... He gets everything gets set straight, and finally he, he rises above, and, and everything is worked out, and there's redemption, right? It, does that sound familiar at all? I, 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 honestly, I'm thinking about almost every story I know. There's that theme that kind of runs through there. 
Uh, one story that sticks out in my mind in particular, a, a movie I watched several years ago, and, and uh, I, I, I'm not recommending this movie at all now, but there, there was a certain aspect, aspect of it that, that just stuck in my mind. There was this uh, a man who was falsely accused and he was thrown into prison. And so the movie just deals with, okay, he's, he's in prison, the, horror, you know, the horrors of what prison was like back in the day that he was in prison. He's there. And, and, but through the course of the movie, this theme of hope begins to develop, right? And, and you don't know this till the end of the movie, but it's because he was planning his escape, right? And he was working on this escape. And so you see this concept of hope begin to rise up through the movie. And, and eventually he, he not only escapes, he brings the corruption of the prison down and everything else all in one fell swoop. And you find him at the end of the movie on, on a beach, wealthy, you know, in Mexico working on a boat. You know, that, that's what you end up with at the end of the movie. I mean, but it was re- redemption had come about. He'd been here in this horrible situation and, and through the progress of time, he ends up here. Frankly, that, that movie sp- speaks to me a lot because I, I love that concept of being redeemed, this concept of redemption. So many, so many movies have that playing through. I actually think that maybe one of the reasons why that's the case is the Bible reveals to us. I mean, if the Bible's true, which we believe it is, then we are all in a desperate need of redemption, right? We're in a situation, we find it, we go back to Genesis, and, and here God creates the world and everything in it, and it's all good, but man sins, and because of that, man and all of his offspring are born into a desperate situation. And, and I actually think that maybe because of that, if that's true, which it is, that maybe that's part of how we think, we, we recognize that desperate need of redemption. And maybe that's why... It, plays out into so many of our stories and people that don't know anything about God still kind of paint this concept of the hero who goes down and then is able to rise back up again and pull himself out. But, but frankly, there's a lot of problems with that concept of redemption. And I want to share with you three problems with, with that version of redemption. The first one, unlike this I'll use the story that I gave of this guy innocent and thrown in prison and accused falsely. Unlike him, frankly, we're not innocent. Yet we're not innocent. I mean, you could go back to Genesis and, and see how uh, God has condemned the human race because of Adam, because of the one man. Paul talks about that in the one man who sinned, all have sinned. But even after that, here we have this... Uh, uh, in Romans chapter 3, Paul tells us again, For all have sinned. And we know this one, right? For all have sinned and what? Come short of the glory of God. I mean, we are all sinners. I mean, even if you could try to argue, maybe I don't understand this whole thing about Adam and how he sinned and how that, the inheritance of that, I don't really get that. But most of us could sit here and say, Yeah, I've sinned. Right? Okay, I've sinned a lot. All right. Okay, if you really want to be honest. <laughs> okay. okay. Right? I mean, we recognize that. Unlike this guy, or so many of the stories, the hero, we're not innocent. We don't. We, we can't stand here and say we're 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 in a this desperate situation because of something else. We're in this. De- I, I can't I can't point anywhere else except at myself. G.K. Chesterton, who was a, a theologian, lived a long time ago. One time he wrote. He was asked. He said, well, "What's the problem with the world today? What's 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 wrong with the world today?" And and he's he's reported to. Have Responded for this newspaper article, one word, me. How could he say? It? Because he understood the concept of 
of sin and how we're not innocent. We're not in a situation where we don't stand guilty. Secondly, another difference between that concept of redemption where the hero can pull himself out is that there's no escape. I mean, the truth is we, we can't crawl ourselves out of this situation. In the, in the movie that I'm referring to, the, the hero of the story, his escape involved him crawling down a sewage tunnel, right? And, and getting out, you know, that's gross, but he gets out and comes out free. But the truth is we can't do that. We can't fix it. We can't crawl out of our desperate situation. You know, frankly, this is a, there's a big difference between how we view this and how the world views this. I mean, think how often you hear in the world, hey, you, you, you need to do something to, to better yourself, right? Or, or maybe uh, to do something with your life. There, there's this concept of, of self-redemption. Do, uh, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Uh, we don't really pull our shoes on by the bootstraps, but we get the idea, right? There's this concept that, hey, you can pull yourself up, you can bring yourself up, you can rise above. And in so many of these hero stories, the hero is able to do that. He's to, in the face of all adversity, to be able to, to come out in the end on top of things. But the Bible teaches a different story. There's no escape. And frankly, the Bible goes beyond that and says, hey, there's none good anyway. Not one. There's nobody that in and of themselves seeks after God and looks towards the things of God and, and in and of themselves they're good people. That's just not the case. So I need to take a little bit of a detour though. What do you do? Now, I just played out a picture here. I said, okay, there's no escape. Nobody really does that. Nobody really rises above and pulls themselves out on top and, and really betters themselves. Nobody, to, to, to self-redeem yourself through the course of your life and by the good things that you do, it just doesn't happen. But my mind has a question that immediately rises up. What about the humanitarians of this world? I mean, there are good people in this world, are there not? Are there not people in this world that, that do good deeds? Maybe some guy who's risen above and he's worked really hard and made a, a vast empire of wealth and he begins to use that for good things throughout the world. What's that about? I mean, isn't that some form of the hero rising up? Actually, that's not the case. I mean, if the Bible stands true, it says there's none good, not one nobody understands, no one seeks after God. And so let me, let me answer that, that question that may rise up in your mind in, in situations like that. In fact, I think we have to address this situation. Let me, let me tell you why I think we need to address this. For a long time in America, we've had this idea and this concept that that, that man is not good in and of himself. But that's begun to shift. Even in our lifetimes, that's shifted dramatically. Uh, let me give you one example I just encountered just the other day. Uh, my, my boys and I, we like to watch Star Trek. Right? I, I hate to admit it. All of you are going, great, he's a Trekkie. No, I'm not a Trekkie. I do enjoy the, the Star Treks. And, and the, the next generation ones are the ones I like to watch with Picard, you know, and, and those characters. But through the course of that TV show, it's painted very much that, that man is good. There's inherent, in, in almost every episode, there's, there's this concept that there's these inherent good qualities of humans that, that, that rise above. That's what humans do. They rise up and they do these good things and, and we're shedding all these bad qualities rising up. But if you go back to the, the older Star Trek, I just watched one the other day with Captain Kirk, right? And, and this episode, they had this guy... Uh, who had suddenly been given all these 
abilities or whatever. But in the, right in the middle of that episode, Kirk makes a point to say, but the problem with you having all this power is the power is going to corrupt you. Right? Before, you didn't do a lot of bad stuff because you had these inhibitions, but now that you have all this power, you're going to... to in fact, you use this phrase, it says, humans were full of fallacies. So just in a generation... That's been, it just changed so much more. To where a generation ago, people recognized man is not naturally in and of ourselves. We're not good. And, and in a generation, that's begun to change where we, say, we look at the good things we're doing and say, man is good. Right? But let me answer this. Uh, uh, if I go back to the days of uh, St. Augustine, St. Augustine talked about what was known as common grace. He kind of coined the phrase, and it comes from uh, an idea that's presented in Scripture, that, that everything that's good, James talks about this, and we actually talked about this when we studied James. Uh, James talks about this, this reality that everything that's good comes from, ultimately comes from God. Right? I'm going to do a long quote here, but I think it sheds a lot of good light on the subject. This is Mark Driscoll. He says this. He, he de- dis- defines common grace. He says, God's common grace includes the water we drink, the food we eat, the sun we enjoy, and rain we need, as God is good to the sinner and the saint alike. Right? But it doesn't end there. He goes on, he says, The effects of God's common grace are are innumerable. God's common grace, now listen to this, allows those who despise Him to learn and make gains in areas such as science and philosophy, technology, education, and medicine. God's common grace allows societies to flourish, families to exist, cities to rise up, and nations to prosper. Do you see what he's talking about? He's saying God's common grace, these things that we see that are good things that are coming from mankind... The reality is those things are in and of themselves coming from God. If God left us to ourselves, we would not be doing... We would not have cities that were rising up. We would not have these things happening. We can attribute those things to God. He goes on. Common grace also allows people who are not connected to God through Jesus Christ to live... Now, this is individually... To live seemingly decent moral lives of compassion and service, though their deeds are not in any way done to God's glory as acts of worship. Now, I want to highlight that last sentence. So if we go to the next slide, you can highlight that last sentence. Do you hear what he says? Though their deeds are not in any way done to God's glory as acts of worship. Now, what he's saying here is this. He's saying, God's common grace... It is poured out. God, because He is good, He pours out His grace to all humanity in such a way that humans are still able to do good things, to rise up and do good things and to, to be humanitarians, right? To be people who look after the poor. To be people who, who, who are giving in and of themselves. But understand, this is not salvation, right? In fact, that, that last sentence kind of wraps it up. Though their deeds are not in any way done to God's glory as acts of worship. So, so just to rise up and, and to do something good, number one, the credit goes to God to begin with. But number two, ultimately that's not really what it's about anyway. It's not just about being a good person. I'll come back to that thought in a minute. Let me finish this quote here. The result of God's common grace is that life as we experience it is far better 
than would otherwise be possible if sinners were simply left to themselves. Everyone experiences the grace of God to varying degrees, no matter how sinful they are, simply because God is loving and good and is determined to do good in love. Anyone who has laughed, held a baby, enjoyed the warmth of the sun on the face, gone for a swim and, or watched a sunset has enjoyed a measure of God's common grace. In other words, see, God can do good in and through people, right? But that doesn't mean salvation. And this is an important thing we have to address because many people look at it and say, well, th- this person's doing good things. You know, a- as a child, I'd kind of painted this picture in my mind that Christians were doing good and right things and, and the people in the world were, were all drunkards and <laughs> doing horrible things. And that's actually not the case, is it? It's not the case at all. In fact, there's some people in the world that do very good things. But, and, and, and there's people that are Christians that do some really horrible things. And so that's thrown some confusion into the mix. Like, well, what's going on here? But you have to understand what God is most concerned with. The greatest command. The greatest thing. The most important thing. God says, even when asked, ask Jesus, what's the greatest command? His response is, the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, ultimately, Christianity isn't about being a good person. That's an outflow of getting your heart and mind correctly focused in the right direction. See, God is God. He's the God. He's the only God. And all of His creation has to have their eyes pointed towards Him as Lord. And Christianity is about what we call faith. Faith is about seeing the world correctly and seeing, recognizing, yes, God is God and I'm not God. Instead of having myself rise up above God, God has risen up. Does that make sense? That's what Christianity is about. It's not about doing these good deeds. And we have to address these things. We have to know how to address these things. Christianity is not ultimately just about being a good person. It's about understanding that God is God and I'm not. And I'm going to put my faith in Him as the most important thing, the greatest thing, right? The one thing, the one priority in my life is God. Nothing else. And so many people who may have God's common grace at work in their lives that they've become humanitarian in their efforts. In fact, just personally, recently, uh, we met uh, a couple that do not believe in Jesus Christ, but they're doing way more in the city of Danville than I've ever done. They're, they're, they're fostering uh, children and they're, they're looking out for this and they're involved in their community and they're helping in these... They're doing all these great things. But they're missing the one important thing. That God is God. And His answer to the world's problem isn't to do good. It's to trust in Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Now I need to throw a third thing up here. The difference between... Uh, the, the worldview of redemption, this rising up in ourselves, you know, obviously, okay, we're, we're not innocent. And, and, and there's no escaping. We can't get out of our situation by being good people, right? But there's a third thing that's a different. Because we're not innocent, we still have to answer the question of justice. You see, God is an absolute just God. He's the just judge of the universe. Now, if you walked into a courtroom, courtroom as an observer... Right? 
And, and, and let's say there's a man on trial who, who had murdered somebody. And the judge says, yeah, he's murdered somebody, but man, he has been really good. Now, he hasn't gone to prison yet, but he's, man, he's been good. I mean, he, he was a humanitarian. He, 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 he had given almost all of his money. Before he did this, he'd given all his money to feed the poor. I mean, he had worked really hard to do these things. I mean, he's done such good things in his life. I know he's done this, this other thing, but he's done all these good things, and, and the good outweighs the bad, and so I, I'm going to let him off. Would you be outraged by that? If the greatest command and the most important thing for God's creation is to have God number one, God first, God as a just judge, if you've broken that great... I mean, nobody in here could say, I've loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, my whole life. I've never once wavered in my love of Him most of all. None of us could do that. So we stand guilty as charged of the greatest crime in all of humanity, which is to not... Love God most of all. But, but I haven't murdered anybody. But I, 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 I didn't steal a lot. I stole some time at work, but that's not as bad, right? I, I didn't do that. I didn't... I didn't but God is a just judge. What just judge ever would say, well, you've done all this good stuff, I'm going to let you off. That's an outrage, is it not? The problem, the third problem that we have with this type of redemption of saying, oh, we can, we can pull ourselves up, we can do these things by being a good person, we can pull ourselves out of this. The, the third problem is that justice still needs to be served. And God is a just judge. And so I want to pop this up here, this, this idea of human self-redemption. Human self-redemption. And I'm going to have you click one more time. It's a fail. Have you ever seen that before? Internet people see that you know, you know, driving fail. They put a big fail over the front. Of it. And I, I, as I was preparing, I just thought, man, this this whole idea that the hero of the story that we can pull ourselves up, we can rise above, and we can we can be better than the world around us, we can do these things is as a means of redemption is is a it's a fail. It, human self redemption, being good in and of yourself, it, it, it's a fail. It's not going to work. I mean, frankly, what we need, though, because the story of what's going on in, in the world, we need a hero, don't we? A hero to this story. Someone who is innocent, right? Is free of those things, doesn't stand guilty as charged, and has the power to, to bring that redemption. We need a hero to our story. And it's not going to be any of us. Who's it going to be? Who will, who will do that? I mean, why would someone do that? If someone is in our situation, in our desperate situation, how could that be fixed? And what's the answer? Some of you are thinking, it's on the tip of your tongue, you're excited about it, you're thinking about it already. The hero, I know the hero of the story. Who is it? Jesus. I mean, that's the reality. Jesus is the hero of the story. He's the hero of the Bible. He's the one who stands above all others, who is not guilty. And yet here he comes into our story as the Savior, the Redeemer. Someone to redeem us. We can't do it ourselves. There's no, there's no potential for human self-redemption. We can't pull ourselves up. We can't do those things. There's only one hero and it's Jesus. He's done it all. Now, 
I want to jump into Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, because this is where we're at. Ephesians 1, 7. It says this. I'm going to start. We're going to do one little bit of verse 7 at a time. It starts off, verse 7. It says, In Him, Jesus, the hero of the story. In Christ. In Him. Over and over again, Paul keeps saying that. In Christ. Those who are in Him. He chose us in Him. He chose us in the Beloved. He's blessed us in the Beloved. It's in Christ that we have redemption. And that's the next phrase. We have. Now, that, that, the, the, the tense of this we have is what's known as a, a present possession. Okay, now that's important as we think about the word redemption there. It comes up next. It's a present possession. It's not something that we got. It's not something we're going to get. It's all of the above. It's something we've gotten. It's something we have now. And it's something we continue to possess. It's an ongoing possession of this. And the next word is redemption. I mean, there it is. In Christ, in Him, we have, we possess right now, the redemption that we're in desperate need for. We have it today. Right? What an amazing statement already. But he goes on, verse, uh, or the rest of this here, the fourth thing, he says, through His blood. I mean, this was a costly redemption. The wrath of the judge, someone, need to take care, someone needed to take care of the wrath of the judge. And that was Jesus Christ. He bore the wrath of the Father. Now, let me set something straight. A lot of people look at uh, this idea that maybe, maybe Jesus had to pay... Uh, I mean, who was He paying the redemption price to? The price of His blood. Who was He paying that to? A lot of people think, oh, wasn't it Satan? Maybe didn't Satan? Wasn't He... No, no, no. It was the righteous judge of the universe. Jesus Christ died for the redemption paid to God, the Father. Right? That was the requirement to have justice be served. And so we have this costly redemption through His blood. Next part of that, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Uh, one Greek scholar put it this way. He said, when you tie these all together, right, in Him, we have this ongoing present possession, redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. This forgiveness of sin qualifies it. He says, when you tie these things together, this remission being the explanation of redemption, includes not only deliverance from sin's penalty, but also from its pollution and its enslaving power. Let me put it this way. It, we're free from the power, the guilt, and the penalty, or the just consequences of sin. I mean, when you get saved, what Christian redemption is about is not just saying, okay, now I can go to heaven because Jesus has paid for my sins. That's one part of it. But it's, we're also, in this redemption, we're freed from the power of sin, right? And the guilt of sin. We don't have to continue to go on feeling guilty for what we've done or even what we're going to do. Because it's all in Christ. We have ongoing redemption. The power and the guilt and the penalty of sin are taken care of in Jesus Christ. And all of this, it goes on. Again, Paul keeps coming back to this. Almost every statement through this whole passage, he keeps coming back to this. To the, the, the riches of His grace. According to the riches of His grace. Right? Not just a common grace that is given to all, but there's a certain richness of grace. As he goes on to say after this, it's been lavished upon us. The riches of God's unmerited favor, unearned favor. No one is redeemed because of anything that they've done. It's all because of God and because of Christ. It's all because of Him. Now, 
I was a little stumped as I was wrestling with what to end with today. How, how do we? How do we? How can I take this? Because I believe it's important. Every time we look to God's word, to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Because James plays it out so clearly. Be a person who takes what we hear in God's word and do something with it. Put it into practice. Think about it through your week. And I, I was a little stumped. There's a couple of different things that kind of kind of rose up my head. Oh, do I need to go this way? I need you to go this way? And so I want to present just a couple things to you. Uh, one of them. Is and I didn't have any better way to put it, but a theme that I keep coming back to again and again in Ephesians is that there's a real power of salvation. And I think that many Christians have laid that aside. Maybe it's because we've been a little befuddled by the world. We don't have good answers from the things that they present. Or for example... You want to present the gospel. Do you know that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins? And he, I mean, he's going to save you. And used to be, you go to almost any door and knock on the door and tell them about that. And they go, oh, I didn't know that. Or, wow, you know, and, and sometimes there's such great potential for that working in that person's life. But the potential of that working has seemed to decrease. And I think we all kind of know that. Like, it doesn't work as easy that way. And for one thing, it's hard to go to people's doors and just knock because they don't want to answer. And it's a scary world we live in. And I don't like to answer the door when people knock on the door. And so we've kind of wondered what to do. Or, or even just sharing the gospel at work. Sometimes we're, we're concerned, okay, can I share this? Like, you know, I struggle with that. I'm teaching at a public school. I can't just come out and say, here's the gospel, right? There, there's limitations. And we're, okay, what's the right way to do this? How do we do this? But one other thing that seems to stump a lot of us is we say, yeah, if you just we get to that point and we talk about believing in Jesus Christ, so you believe it, and they go, well, I believe. And then we go, okay. See you later. In heaven, I hope, I guess. And you're thinking in the back of your head, you're going, now there was a reason why I thought I was wanted to tell them about this. Right? I, I, I know I wanted to tell them about this for something. But they, they believe it, I guess, Okay. We end up a little befuddled. But the gospel that is preached in the Bible is a gospel that is full of power to save people, radically transform people. Right? It's not a weak gospel. And one of the lies that has crept in is that somehow that belief, and I blame it on the English language if for nothing else, that's, it's crept into our, our thought process is that to believe in Jesus Christ, to put our faith in Him, to have this radical transformation simply means that I went from being a skeptic to saying, I don't know if Jesus was a real person to, yeah, I think He was really real. But that is not what faith in Jesus Christ is about. And faith in Jesus Christ over and over again through Scripture is painted like this, a redemption that frees us from the power of sin. One of the ways that we begin, need to begin to apply this is to preach the gospel not just to who we think might be lost, but to each other. As we struggle in sin, and, and maybe you're struggling in sin, and we even maybe need to preach the gospel message, this redemption message to ourselves. And, and all those, I can't help it, I, I just can't. I'm just, man, God's, through the precious blood of Christ... You've been given freedom from any power of sin to break free. It's not of yourselves. It, it, he did it. But that power has been given to you. The same power that is work that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Paul says, is now at work in you. 
And so, yeah, there's a reason why some of the people you see in our lives that are not living for Jesus Christ, you feel that need. I feel like I need to tell them about the gospel. If I did once, and they said they already believed it, so I don't know what to do. We need to preach a gospel that's powerful to the people around us. It's a gospel that really, truly saves. It's not just about acknowledging it with your head. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches a faith that is, we might think of from the heart, but it changes who we are. A final way that I think we can throw this in and apply this is this. When you get to heaven, if you're a child of God, and you get into heaven, sometimes we think about, oh, I can't wait to see some of the heroes of the faith. We call them that. The heroes of the faith. You know, We think of Paul or Abraham or Moses and we see these things that they did. But I want to steer you in a direction of understanding to say not one person in heaven is going to be, to say, be standing there. Yeah, I'm willing to take questions. They're going to be all looking in one, one place to Jesus. And you, you might walk up to them and I don't think this will happen this way but in your mind you might walk up to them and say tell me about how did you do this? How did you do this? And, and, and Paul or Moses are they going to say oh, oh that wasn't me. That was Jesus. He's the hero. That, that, that wasn't me. Yeah, but when you, when you were standing there, Moses, and you had to hold your hands up and the, the Red Sea parted, I mean, that had to take great faith. Oh, but love to myself, I wouldn't have had any. That, that was all him. That was all him. Right? It's all Jesus. He is the hero of the story. And there's not going to be one person in heaven that says, oh yeah, that was tough, man, I really... They're going to say, left to myself, I would have done nothing good. It was all because of Him, and all because of His grace, and all because of His work in my life. Every last ounce of anything, in fact, anything you've ever read about me that's good, that was all Jesus Christ, and His work in my life. And if it wasn't for Him, I never would have done any of the things that I did. Christ is the hero. And I want to transition down. We're going to do communion. And uh, uh, for those of you that haven't done communion with us, one of the things that we like to do is is I like to distribute the cup and distribute the bread. We'll hand out the bread first, and then we're going to hand out the cup. And, and I ask you to hold on to those things while we're doing that. And one of the reasons why I do that is because I believe it's important to take some time each week to say, okay, Lord, I need to examine myself. Right? I need to examine myself and, and, and consider myself and, and ask, okay, how, how, and do I need to adjust my point of view? And, and maybe even hearing some of the stuff in Ephesians, it's, it's kind of, oh, I haven't been looking at that the right way or I haven't been thinking about that the right way. Or maybe it's a simple thing like, I just, I haven't been living for him at all. The very fact that you're thinking that is the work of the Spirit in your life kind of stirring things up inside of you to say, Live for Jesus Christ. Do those things. I'm going to empower you to do that. Today, if you hear his voice, as it says in Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you feel the Spirit of God saying, I got more for you, that you're still alive because I keep your heart beating. You're still on this planet because I've got something for you to do. There are people in this world that do not understand the, the faith and the, the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I want to use you in that area. And I, I want to use you to spread the gospel. And the very fact that maybe that's stirring up. Maybe even while I'm... This is the amazing thing. This is, it gets exciting. Maybe even while I'm saying this, you, you're feeling that a little bit. 
the Spirit's kind of poking and prodding that dead heart, stirring it back up to life. Oh yeah, I wasn't put on the earth to live for me. I wasn't put on the earth to, to have an, an easy life. I wasn't put on the, the, this earth to, 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 to float through life and, and things to go smoothly. I was actually put here for Him. I need to live for, for Him. And maybe you're thinking, I've spent so much of my life already. Hey, you've got time left. You're still here. God may have something for you. And if you're hearing His voice today, don't harden your heart. Now, I'm going to have, do you want to play? I'm going to have Ashley come up and play. Uh, and uh, while she's doing that, I'm going to have my dad come up and we're going to hand these things out. And uh, uh, I just want to encourage you, we're going to do the bread first. Just hold on to that and just start praying. Remember, the redemption that Christ offers is a, was a redemption that was bought with his blood. And especially as you get that cup, I mean, you just can look at it and, and it stirs up those thoughts of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. The redemption that He is offering to you today, the ongoing redemption that He continually wants to do in your life is because of the precious blood of Christ. So I'm going to pray a blessing over these things and then we're going to start handing them out to you. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank You for this day. And Lord, I want to pray a blessing over this, this bread and this cup. Lord, I know that in and of themselves they're, they're, they're nothing. But Lord, this is a tradition that You've handed down to us to help us remember what You did. Father, I pray that you would just uh, use these things in our lives, Lord, to uh, remind us that we need to live for you and that that redemption was already bought by your blood. In your name I pray. Amen.